Podcast. This is John. This is Blix. This is Trav. This is Rich. Welcome to the Tri-Tac Games Podcast. Your podcast of finding cute little aliens and killing them with bad patent medicine. Doctor, it hurts when I do this. Then don't do that! (laughs) This week we are talking about xenomedicine. Or, what kind of strange things can we find out on the fringe pass on all those alternate worlds, whether they be low tech, high tech, alternate physics, and even the super tech, how does medicine appear and get used out on the fringe pass? All right. All right. Well, moving on, let's, uh, let's talk about here. You are moving into a new community. Okay. You're moving, you're explorers, you're going out, or like I say, you're a a team that's being sent to a world to try to make good, uh, as a secondary uh, contact where you're trying to improve their, uh, the, the, a community in which you're moving into where let's say you're planning on having a storage dump set up. So you want to improve the community so these people will be helpful and, and, and take care of it. And they may not be human. That's one of the things we have to really impress here is the fact that not even if they look human, they may not be exactly like the human beings that you know because these are alternate universes. These are different worlds. They may have had a slightly different bump in their genome as they passed up through the, uh, the, the evolution. So when you come into these communities, okay, the first thing you have to think about is that where is your biological database? I mean, are, are you going to need... A large amount of information about different kinds of animals, so you could attempt to classify the people uh, and and even the animals. In case you're trying to be a more of a veterinary, uh, that you're going to try to treat and you're trying to improve their lives. So what what are we going to have available to us as far as being able to do this? We're now getting to the point where you can do generic, general level uh, DNA, you know, gene typing. We're not talking the good, the very in-depth stuff, but you can now maybe do a little field use gene typing with some equipments you can bring, you can you can haul around portably. I would say another 10, 20 years, if you, be, you should be able to gene type on the field and be able to figure out, okay, who are you related to, and work out their their genetic heritage and where they came and who they're related to and what they came from. You know, you find out the herders. You know, herders. Urter, you know, they got they got ten percent Neanderthal in their genes, just because they come from a diff- really alternate, di- different world. And this hey, might Johnny, be your.
Yeah, John, we're really close to that. That which, is that which is, is not, what we want, that is right? Not, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not far from now. That is very, very close. <clears throat> All right. So, anyway, so how how's that going to be? I mean, you is there going to be like a uh, you know a litmus bottle? You just go and say, hey, spit in this, and you stir it around, and you stick it into a uh, you know, and you plate it across a, a strip, and it comes up and says, hey, these are these are the or, or is it going to be something that's is it going to be something that's man portable? I mean, it sounds like it is. How how what kind of gear are you going to need to take with you in order to figure out the divergence that that the people and animals have from what you expect by just looking at them? Well, one you need you need a database, so you're going to have a couple of DVDs worth of what we've typed on Earth, so you have something to compare to. So you're going to need a database of Earth Prime uh, genetics. That's number one. And two, you're going, to be, you're going to be, you know, you need cells. And spit doesn't have very many cells. So you can all swab in the inside of the cheek will get you a lot of cells. And that, which, but you still have to process that. So you need a centrifuge and some various chemicals to help you se- separate out the, uh, the, D- the DNA from the rest of the stuff. And then once you get DNA, then it's just a matter of putting it in the machine and, you know, and waiting for the thing to beep. That's done, you know, at that point. <laughs> and give you a classification of what this person is. You know, the genetics. Do they have any markers? You know, are they uh, are they prone to heart attacks? Are they prone to diabetes? Are they prone to arthritis? You know, stuff like that. Well, I can see where that might you might be able to tell that in a human being, but is it going to be that easy to tell that in something that isn't a human being? Yeah, that's very very correct. There you there you'd have to actually convince the entire village. Entire and the next ten other villages around you let you come along and say say ah gurgle 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 thank you for the swab thank you and <laughs> so you have a baseline. You're gonna have a hard time with that in some ways because like you know ancient cultures if they feel like you're taking something from them or you know you show up with you show up with gloves on and a swab you might have some issues so you may have to come up with something that's um, help treat their wounds and. Take the bandages and anything else you have. Sure. Well, I was thinking... There is a source you can find uh, cell material in. It's the same thing we were talking about earlier earlier in the show. Oh. Oh, the poo. Yeah, actually, you could. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, but, but how do you collect the fresh sample from an individual? You know, that kind of thing. They might find that kind of taboo. I, I was thinking you could, you know... You show up with kind of like a, you know, like kind of like a ceremony, you, and and you treat it like this is what our people do. We chew on this and we spit it in a bowl and then we pass it around. So it's kind of a peace pipe thing. Yeah, kind of like a peace pipe thing. Yeah. You no, know, you go about doing it. You give it to the new guy on the team and have him do it. He's the one that collects it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But you know, you you may have to become creative to to do these kind of things with with really ancient cultures because I mean, they, you know, some of them find like blood sacred. You know, you don't know what you're going to be messing with. Yeah, I volunteer to collect the uh, spit samples from all the virgin females. Wow. Oh God. Oh, Bruce. Sorry. I'll fight. I'll fight you for it. You're, you're talking about you're talking about collecting blood. 
samples. Well, yeah, you can say we're going to do a, we're going to do a blood ceremony, and what you do is you, you the little thing that you, instead of using a knife, you say, oh no, we have a different way of doing it, and you pull out a, basically it's something I'm very familiar with, a lancet. Only you have a lancet that collects blood. Tap, get a, the blood sample. You know, you tap yourself with a different one. You got, you do the old thumbs together and reminger, blah 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 blah, and you just do that with every person, and you collect the samples that way. And you kept something so horrible that you're dead the next day. <laughs> no, no, you can And then, as long as you, as long as you're within driving distance of the portal, you go through the portal and come back, come back through completely clean, except for parasites. I think you're also going to need a good pharmacological database too. Because um, I know that there are like different animals sometimes are completely allergic to medicines that work on other animals. You know, human being, you can't give certain drugs to animals that you can give to human beings and vice versa. So if you have somebody who's kind of a, a, a well, like say one of the old men or even the pangolisks, I mean, you know, they're not going to have the same, you're not going to be able to treat them the same way that you would treat a human being. So you're going to need a, a, a large pharmacological database to be able to say, hey, what are my options here? Or of the animals that they tested this on, did they, were there any squirrels? Did they test this stuff on squirrels? Uh, uh, Pangolus is kind of like a squirrel, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> Well, don't forget, they thought that uh, squirrels could carry rabies. Squirrels don't carry rabies. This was a popular for almost 100 years. Really? Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, they were telling me that as, lo- as, as recent as 10 years ago. Hmm. If you're dealing with, say, the uh, demixia, I brought this up earlier, uh, you got to also be good with body work. Literally, if a demixie falls and cracks his carapace, that's a nasty. That's really nasty because they have no internal bones, and he may be out for a while, at least till he molts. At that point, but the thing is, you have to. You have you know, uh, demixie surgeons are part. You know, uh, they do. Uh, what's the thing? Is it arthroscopy? Uh, where you use the little probes with the with the. Um, or in this case, ar- arachnoscopy, but you know. Well, it, it, that just simply means that you're going, you're pushing something through a tube. That's what that really means. Yeah, they're very good at working that way. But if you have a shattered carapace, uh, you don't want a hole because it won't heal over. So you're going to have to work and try to rebuild his carapace, at least enough to support it. And yeah, you're talking like Bondo? Maybe. You know, uh, Bondo or something like that on the on the surface to repair the surface so that at least it holds in place until he molts. When he molts, he'll grow a new shell. He'll grow a new shell at that point. Medicinal super glue. It's like a miracle. Yeah, there there are actually are a lot of surgical glues that would be useful. Bruce, those surgical glues are literally the same thing. There's no difference. And also what they injected into my back, basically he said... All it is is medical bondo. <laughs> awesome. And I walked out of the hospital. That's funny because I have that in my section at work too. Bondo. All the <laughs> God. <laughs> I'll never look at that the same thing. Thanks a lot. Yeah, I think we postulated that the, the because they're so large and normally you don't you get can't have a carapace that supports they have internal structure. So it means you may have to open him up 
to see the whether in the internal structure has been damaged, and then that's going to be fixed, and that's going to be difficult because it also sort of molts and grows. So you have to you know think consider whatever you put inside, either has to go away after a bit of time, or it's going to be there, and it may actually restrict them from expanding and growing and, and basically from molting properly in the future. You might have to put a hinge on your uh, repair work, a flap. Most of them will stop growing. It's like human beings. The human beings stop at a certain point. I, I had the privilege of growing an inch in my late 40s uh, because, of, because of the thought of my thyroid. And uh, that was an excruciatingly painful experience. Uh, but Richard, the Mixie are, are arthropods. Arthropods never stop growing. Even the largest ones still grow. Maybe a millimeter. Okay, let's, let's, let's not go into that yet. But you can have dinner plate-sized spiders. Well, a lot of uh, aquatic insects, you know, they have the advantage that, you know, they're, they're, if they have any kind of uh, uh, air system, they they they're partially supported by the water, so they can get very very large. So even larger than what we would normally consider to be a, an upper limit for terrestrial uh, uh, creatures of that kind. But anywho, yeah. But yeah, then you also where and where does it ter- go from veterinary to doctor? Because I hate to say it, both Tazeel and. Um, the 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 blizzness, you'd be better off with a veterinary uh, doctor for them than rather than a regular doctor. See, that is a fine line because with Tazeel, they got the primate physiology. The heart and lungs would probably be in the same place. Blizzness, I'd be going more of the veterinary. Yeah, but the Tazeel, you know, they're 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 not lizards because we we made them uh, lukewarm blooded. So they're not lizards, but they're not mammals. They're they're dinosaurs, more or less. All right, but then don't forget the second the second race on the Tazeel homeworld, the Arkino, are basically birds, but they're kind of dinosaur birds, like Archaeopteryx, something in that general line, but much much bigger, human size. Right. So you're saying that uh, that unless you're dealing uh, almost solely with um, a mod- uh, uh, modified human populations that somebody with a veterinarian background as medical skills would be probably more useful in the uh, uh, medical uh, support teams than, than someone who went through classic um, doctor training. You're probably going to want a vet and a doctor on any major team. Yeah, eventually, eventually we'll get the uh, the French version of Doctor Mbenga from Star Trek, who studied in Vulcan, you know, dealing with Vulcan with Vulcans. We'll get the guy who studied in on Demixie. He knows Demixie's inside out. Ew! You know, he's the best guy. You know, you got yeah. <laughs> Almost sometimes I would imagine a construction Demixie falling off a tower. He knows him inside out. Depending upon how good your scanning technology is. Uh, you know, I mean, the, 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 our choices for, uh, you know, getting, looking inside someone's body are x-rays, ultrasound, um, MRI, yeah, MRI. Yeah. And which is a big piece of equipment to be bringing along with you Yeah, and dissection. 
So you you know you you may end up uh, enlisting the aid of notorious uh, a profession of grave robbers in order to find out enough information to properly treat the populace that you're in. Yeah, I mean a field X-ray system would have to be truck mounted. No, no, those are relatively small. Yeah, I mean they have them in dentist offices. Uh, yes, but they but they're plugged into mains power. Well, you need a generator with that. Yeah, I would I would think you'd have that. Yeah, and also it makes it easier at least to keep people from being irradiated by the X-rays. Have it in a truck because then you can just lead line the truck. And you know, you, know, you tell the, you tell the, the mix make it big enough for make it big enough for a, a blizzness to come inside. Because that's the only way you're going to X-ray them. It's this thing that big. No, you just simply put the the, the films on the place where you want it. And you just you just you just put the the uh, the X-ray device. Like I was telling you that I, I mean I go to a dentist's office and he brings this thing over and sticks it to the side of my face and I put this thing into my mouth and bang he's got X-rays and they're up on his screen and he doesn't you know he doesn't wrap everything up in lead and his walls aren't covered with lead sheets. I mean he just you just get out of the way of the of the the way the the, the X-rays are going to go. That's all. And also, Bruce, the film has gotten more sensitive over the years. So the X-ray they're taking, they also can send straight to computers. Right. Well, I'm saying the film itself isn't even a film anymore. It's some kind of a sensor that when it hits is hit by the X-rays, it produces a, a, a an image on the computer. No, it's still film because I talked to my. I was at my dentist's office this uh, two last week, and it's still filming. They still have to. They still have to develop it. No, but you're right. It's much more sensitive. You, uh, John, you can do that, but I'm telling you that that's not what happens when I go to my dentist. He puts this thing in my mouth. He run. He shoots the X-ray through. It's on his screen immediately. He doesn't take it somewhere and develop ah. it. Ah, it's done. <laughs> okay. You're also yeah, I can imagine that yeah, because you're you're in Atlanta, uh, you're probably near near. Well, actually, I'm also here in Seattle, and and we we have the you you uh, the University of Washington Medical Center. So I'm just wondering why. Well, it, it's probably it's probably expensive. That's why I, we, my dentist doesn't have it yet. Yeah, <laughs> the better the better the X-ray, the more expensive the dentist. Boy, that I that is absolutely a truth. Uh, it's it's all covered by my insurance, so I don't know. Yeah, I'm I'm serious. It's, it's, I'm a, I get I'm allowed one set of de- uh, dental X-rays a, a year, whatever they cost. I don't know. Mm. Yeah, with the dental insurance I had with Delta, it was here. Take a piece of string and find a doorknob. <laughs> well, but uh, but I was thinking though, with, with, with a blizzard though, if he has a major inju- injury, uh, he has larger organs. Just. Taping the, the 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 stuff to the side that may not work. You may need something a little bit larger. Hey, uh, I don't they, know. They have done surgery on elephants. Yeah. Probably look at, look at the San Diego Zoo. Yeah, of course elephants are thick too, so you may need a little bit more X-rays to get through. Well, look, look, okay, yeah, a blizzness is is no is no bigger than let's say a, a, a really overweight guy, a guy that weighs like four hundred pounds. I mean, I mean, I'm not talking in totality, but I mean, any particular part of the blizzness is probably not going to be any more difficult to treat than somebody who's like that, and they do, okay. But like I said, is it the 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 best way of getting information on a a, 
on a populace is to actually examine their dead, which may have problems because they may not want you messing around with their dead folk. Now that's that's a that's a great job, especially for the new guy on the uh, on the team to send them out to collect the bodies uh, and uh, from the graveyard. Uh, of course, if you're on a world in which there's a lot of combat going on, you get lots of fresh bodies to work with. But you know you're going to run to a lot of religious objections, this kind of thing, and maybe a lot of societal objections because uh, even if a, a society isn't very big on religion and that kind of thing, they usually are very concerned about proper uh, treatment of their deceased. Some cultures is basically, I hate to say it, only the really high mucky mucks got got buried properly, and everyone else may do however you know they may do. That seems a little little loosey goosey there, John. Are you talking about a specific culture? Well, the Mayans only the very only the top Mayans really got proper burials. The rest of them were returned to the returned to the jungle, more or less. <laughs> the Romans weren't though. The Romans weren't had uh, the high level Romans were buried in tombs, small tombs. The yeah. everybody else either went into the pit or you know, much like medieval times. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also, you didn't, if you didn't like, say, in ancient Egypt, uh, even the poorest guys got got a nice little tomb to get buried in. You know, so it may be a little bit harder to um, you know get the body out because the family's still there watching over it. Okay. These days, of course, whenever you're doing a biological study, you get these animals that have been uh, harvested and then shot up full of goos and things like that to, to stabilize them. Uh, how long, how, how old can a body be before it basically isn't any use as far as um, medical examination, as far, you know, uh, uh, of, a, of a people? How long do you think that would be? Depends on the preservation. Well, that's what I'm talking about. Temperature. Well, te- see, temperature and where it's where it's at. I mean, some places the body may be yeah, humidity. It can really vary. We have bog people. We have the Iceman. We have guy. We have guys who turn into a pile, into a sack of goo within a day. Well, okay. So does it, does that mean that uh, that it would be a really good idea to have a large refrigerator truck in order to keep your uh, examination uh, bodies in? Cold storage is the easiest technique. Or can you just take a body bag and fill it full of uh, formaldehyde? No, freezing is bad, and it takes time for formaldehyde to get through the tissues. It took us a week to get tissue completely. Preserved and run with formaldehyde. Bruce, the, the the best I think the best thing you could do is put somebody in a deoxygenated uh, container. So put them in a container uh, with zero oxygen in it. Um, so then it becomes ana- it becomes anaerobic. Yeah, put it. Yeah, put them in a container full of nitrogen. Uh, that's the reason why the bog people last so long because it's it's an anaerobic um, it's an anaerobic medium that they're in. So the bacteria can't proliferate and destroy your tissue. And what and what you mean by bog people, uh, uh, Peter? Could you explain that? Because I didn't know what you meant when you first said that. In England, um, and I, I think it's England, but in the UK, they have uh, they have bodies that have uh, that have fallen into the bog, and it and the bog is this this mud, this like really thick, uh, this like muddy, marshy, swamp like uh, thing. Uh, but 
but the when the bodies sink into the mud, the mud is deoxygenated, so there's the bacteria cannot cannot grow and proliferate the way they normally would, and the bodies want to becoming preserved because normally what breaks a body down is the bacteria that dissolves it, the stuff that already lives in you. Uh, pretty much the stuff that lives in your intestines and eats the food that, that comes in you, you know, when you eat uh, and is held in check by your immune system. Well, when your immune system shuts down and the bacteria are given nothing else to eat, they consume you. Uh, and some of the bacteria living on the outside of your body as well start to start to multiply and, and devour you because um, your skin is a great defense against bacteria. But uh, when it loses its ability to do that, the bacteria win. But if you put them in an anaerobic, uh, deoxygenated uh, medium, they lose their ability to uh, reproduce, which means they uh, don't win that battle. Actually, if you also can pack them in salt, yeah, salt would be good. Yeah, but I mean, the salt, but salt would. Hmm, I'm just I'm worried about like how, yeah, how preserved do you want your tissue? Is is my thinking? I would think, hey, what about a refrigerated, uh, uh, anaerobic? atmosphere they found that in the what the in the uh south america where they found bodies on top of mountains and caves right but they're they're desiccated no they're freeze-dried correct yeah yeah you you basically yeah having a big freeze-dry you still mean you still have to open the person up because there's bits that won't properly you know dehydrate unless the person's opened up yeah no there's uh there's the girl there's a yep. there's a girl on tour. She's a some sort of Incan princess, and she was a human sacrifice. So she was they set her cross legged on a in a little cave on a top of a mountain, and basically she died of a cocaine overdose. Her cheeks are packed full of coca leaves, and whatnot. what a way to go! Yeah, high as a kite on top of an Incan mountain. If someone's gonna cut my belly open, I want to I don't want to feel it if I can avoid it. No, she's she's swallowed like oh. heaps of coca leaves. I can think of a I can think of a worse way to go. Actually, I'm thinking. I just I, I just realized there's an example from the United States, and they actually he's actually in the Bureau 13 game. Sylvester, the the cowboy mummy. Uh, he was found in Arizona, completely desiccated. Um, from the X-rays they've done of him uh, recently, his organs are all there. They're all shoveled up, but they're all there. Yeah. So yeah, if you can. The main thing is reducing the moisture levels. Moisture is what's going to well get you a get you a body and not and not the uh, human pudding. Right. You can do two things, like the the British Royal Navy did before the 19th century, when somebody died at sea and they were going to return them. Um, one of their admirals, they put him in a lead-lined coffin and pickled him with alcohol. Yep. And the other method Listen. was to pack them in salt. Salt or brandy. Yep, you brine them. You get enough salt, they won't. They won't. They won't. They won't decay. The salt actually was. It's a natural antibacterial. It'll actually kill off the bacterial, the bacteria. Well, if you're just trying to mummify somebody, that'd be fine. But if you're actually trying to examine them biologically, then I think you probably, you know, you want something that's not going to damage the tissues uh, as much, as little as possible. So, and your only option is freezing. All right, refrigeration and and using that anaerobic environment, like keeping them inside of a clear bag that's filled with nitrogen. That sounds like a pretty reasonable method of 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 keeping somebody useful for a a, a couple of days at least. 
one of the reasons I wanted to be able to examine bodies is because um, a lot of times when you go to an alien world, you don't really know what the environment is effect is going to be on the people or whether or not these people are suffering from stuff because they've moved to a new area that they weren't before. So when I say move to a new area, I mean like a, a century ago. So what I was thinking is that if you were to go and, and do, um, let's say, toxicology studies on bodies over an extended period of time, let's say uh, every every 20 Every 20 years, like going back, you know, in digging further and further down into the crypts or into into the mass grave or whatever, finding bodies that were older and older and older, you could do toxicology studies and see, hey, you know, it used to be that they had less lead in their system or less strontium, or is this something is you know is this something that's new? Is this something that needs to be dealt with, or have they always been like this? Maybe these people need a certain amount of uh, uh, of metallic sodium uh, in their bloodstream in order for them to uh, uh, operate properly. Titanium yeah. and fuzzies, HB and Piper. Yeah, so. Examining bodies on a more of a forensic basis also gives you a lot of information about the how the environment has affected them historically. And you're lucky if you go to the the Mixie Homeworld; they have uh, anatomical models you can bring home. Nightmare fuel for some people, but yeah, you can have the visible Demixie. <laughs> <laughs> now wait a minute! Wait a minute! When we did the body tables for the original games, we went to Chicago and we measured the woman who's on glass slides mounted in the Museum of Natural History every square inch. John, were you part of that expedition or? No, I wasn't, but I've I, I seen her though. Because a, a lot of the people uh, that are on some of these fringe worlds, they're actually not native to those worlds. They were refugees from other worlds during the war that happened a thousand years ago. So you take a group of people and you move them to another world where the gravity is is higher or lower, then you're going to see uh, uh, changes to their biological structure uh, that was caused by some of these environmental factors. Uh and of course, if, if suddenly they, there's no record of anybody having, you know, if you look at the pits and you see that there's nothing left, there's no bodies back more than a couple hundred years, and then you know these people came from somewhere else, and that might lead to another area of investigation. Uh, but I was thinking, you know, seeing the effects, the long-term effects of, of heavy gravity on a person, seeing whether they recover might be a big boon to medical science as well because we don't have that information. Yeah. I think the closest we ever had to it, I think, Richard, you told me about this. We, we, they raised rats in a centrifuge and like two Gs, and it turned out they were healthier. And they were tough. Yeah, they were super rats. And very muscular. I think that was that was Bill Wardrop who was involved in something on that. No, uh, I think they they raised them at a G and a quarter, a G and a half. So, in other words, all those old pulp stories where the guys that got raised on the uh, on the heavy worlds and end up being like these physical supermen were true. They just they didn't all just like have heart attacks. Depends. Uh, I think Hal Hal Clement's Mission of Gravity. They had mm -hmm. suits. That helped the people that were under what four or five gravities, but there are limits. 
yeah, they they also they were in they they also sit in a tank with a, a, a an elastic film on the top of it that would go around their bodies like a whole body condom and hold them and suspend them in the water to try to take some of the strain off of constantly being under that high g force. Yeah, you have to be there at the right angle. Otherwise, at four or five Gs, all the blood goes down to your legs. And eventually, because you can only take that for a short period of time. There were studies uh, on, on long-term studies on how long people can stand a, a certain amount of Gs. At four or five Gs, you can only handle that for a half an hour. Then you got to leave. And you have a stroke. That's all there is to it. Right. <laughs> Well, you know, that, that wouldn't be something that you, your medical team would have to deal with probably because, you know, <laughs> they, 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 the population wouldn't exist. And if they did exist, then they, they, probably, uh, they probably grew up in it. Or they're the products of advanced medical uh, treatments. Now, which, which race is it that were the Erders that were yeah, shorter, a little tougher? Yeah. 1.2 Gs on their world, so everything's like 20% heavier. But like you said, the Erders, the Erders definitely would be different different physiology. I would imagine they would even have probably different blood types uh, just from their evolution. Uh, so they may not even be – they may be uh, cross-breedable, but they may not be uh, transfusable. John, they'd have the whole same blood types. They would just be highly calcium-dependent. They would need more minerals than, than an Earth primer. They would probably be chewing tablets. They'd be crushing seashells. You'd find uh, they would need um, high levels of calcium, high levels of vitamin D. They would need potassium. Uh, what else would they Possibly need? Possibly more iron. Uh, no, because that, that's just a component of blood. But you need calcium, you need potassium, you need vitamin D to build bones. And they probably have a heavier bone structure. Um, they would be prone to arthritis earlier than an earth primer. Paul, they may not be necessarily prone to arthritis, but their joints may have less li- uh, range of motion because they're thicker and more um, uh, and, and heavier. And it may have this heart that just makes our hearts look like wimps. Well, yeah, or they develop secondary two-chamber hearts. Yeah, they could have more than one heart. Or in the or within their femoral arteries. Yeah, actually, I was just I was thinking that too. Yeah, that's actually a good place for it because then it helps pump the blood up out of the legs. Well, your the muscles of your legs act like a heart. They compress your femoral artery, and and so walking around is really healthy for you. It moves blood out of your legs if you don't lay down enough in a sixteen hour period. Well, whether whether it moves blood or not, it certainly is the main method of moving the lymph around. So that's you know that would be important too. Okay, so uh, yeah, so that's what I'm saying. You, you you need a good biological database, and you're going to need to go and study some of the dead, and you know, in order to uh, get a really good idea of the people that you're dealing with. Uh, so that's I say. You, you sooner or later you're going to find yourself uh, enlisting the service of uh, grave robbers. Because not everybody's going to be uh, happy about you checking out the bodies of their, uh, or uh, you might be purchasing them the bodies yourself from the the local prison or even poorhouse. India exports bodies or used to. But you also run the cultures like the some Native American cultures, not all of them, but some. 
um, basically would put their bodies up on uh, up on t- uh, towers up on high hills and let nature take its course. Uh, Zoe Rostrian's now in that wheel. That's still that's still prevalent in uh, high plateaus of Central Asia. Okay, up Tibetans do the same thing. They feed them. They feed the remains to the vultures. Yep. There's also some cultures that let the bodies, you know, naturally decay down to bones and then collect the bones and sh- into the house. There's grandma. There's grandpa. There's great grandpa. Great grandma. You know. Right. I'm sure they wouldn't want you. Uh, you know. I mean, doing uh, grinding up grandpa's bones to to check their calcium levels. Yeah. You're going to have to take your lab to the world with you. Yes. Uh, Biofilters precludes you from getting away with a lot of medical tests as soon as you take them through the portal. Unless you can freeze them, in which case you can take them back to Earth Prime. But I pretty much assume that if you go to a world as part of a medical team, you're going to be bringing a lot of equipment, your own analysis equipment with you. It sounds like we need need the, the Mars science vehicle. Yeah. Well, sure. That'd be good. Uh, uh, it's certainly at least something the size of a, a large panel truck uh, to, with with a lot of gear in it. All right, let's move on to uh, to let's let's move on to uh, what we what most people when they talk about Xeno science and fringeworthy science. Let's move on to the super science uh, or at least modern science. You know how how do you treat people who have problems assuming that there's something wrong with somebody it needs to be treated how can it be treated outside of the most obvious traditional things of surgery and wrapping you know wrapping things and you know uh stitching stuff up i mean what's what are our what things are available to us now first let's look at the near future okay not the really super science stuff that we've you know that like the we'll get to that later but let's there's just the what we think will be the biggest advances and the things we're going to be able you already talked about one thing john where you talked about being able to do full genetic workups of people so that you can then say, okay, we need to treat them. They've got something genetically wrong with them or metabolically wrong with them. Okay, how do we fix them now that we know that? Yeah, well, they've been experimenting with various things. Uh, retroviruses still have they still haven't really the jury's out on that still whether that works or not for genetic diseases, but. Well, it's a vehicle. It's a vehicle of being able to change someone's basic genetic code. Yeah, but there's been a lot of work in regeneration um, using various methods, um, uh, various collagens uh, taken from, uh, I forgot where, they, where some of them came from, but there, I mean, one thing I've been looking at, because I have, oh, uh, I have really bad dentistry. I would love to be able to have actually nice new teeth. Well, there, a, a former UW researcher has been trying to grow teeth. Using stem cells, right? Yeah, stem cells and, and, a, and, a, and a collagen scaffolding to form the initial bud. And you then implant it and let the tooth grow back. In honor of my wife, I'm going to jump up on a soapbox for just one second. And that is to say there is a ready source of stem cells that doesn't ca- cause anybody to die. Okay, And that is the umbilicals from babies. These things are thrown away by the ton every day, okay? 
And, and the, what the point is, is that those umbilicals are full of stem cells and they could be harvested and we could be doing a lot more with stem cells that wouldn't cause any kind of ethical question. So that's something that needs to be done. Interesting enough, you all heard about the guy who recently been, who's been, who received surgery that has repaired his uh, spinal cord. Now, it's, uh, from where I stood, it was actually very, a very specific injury. He actually was stabbed in the back. Oh. And his, yes, and his spinal cord partially severed. And they were able to go in there and uh, rebuild the nerves. But they used his own nerves. They actually went in, they had to open up his head. Go in down underneath, down down into the brain under under the brain and remove an olfactory nerve bulb, culture it so it would grow, implanted that into the uh, into where the cut was along with a nerve taken from his foot, and he's walking now, not very well but he's walking. Um, there's that where you take uh, cell, take cells of the person and use them to repair injuries we thought were permanent. Well, here's I got I got one for you. So check this out. Talking about stem cells again, so this this is this is like super cutting edge, and it's a little ways off, but it's very doable. They've they've already shown that it can be done. Um, they take uh, a scientist went through this process of of experimenting with different chemicals and figuring out what chemicals he could use to dissolve everything about an organ except for the protein scaffolding. So I can't remember what he used, but it was basically he came up with this chemical, and it's nothing. It's it's nothing crazy. This dissolvent is not that not that difficult. I, f- I forget what it is, but it's something simple. So it dissolves all of the the, the flesh off of off of a, 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 an organ, and all it leaves behind is a protein scaffolding. And that protein scaffolding is actually not unique to you or me or anyone else. So we're talking about no. Um, no personal uh, DNA is in that. It's just it, it's literally just a scaffolding made out of protein, not yours or mine, just just generic. Then you take stem cells, say for for a heart, for for the heart stem cells, and you coat it in your own stem cells. So you would take um, you would take my heart, or actually you don't have to take my. I'm, I'm, let me rewind that just a little bit. You don't have to take anyone's heart in particular. You can take any heart. You dissolve all the meat off of it, leaving behind the protein scaffolding. You take stem cells for the heart, heart stem cells, and you you coat this thing in them. It then those stem cells actually grow, and they they grow to the scaffolding because the scaffolding is actually the blueprint for growing that organ. They grow where they need to grow, how they need to grow, and it's your cells, it's your heart, and they can actually and this this can be done with any organ. Regrow your organ. It's your organ. It's perfect, and it and it, it your body will not reject it. And we are not very far off. We actually they've they've grown kidneys. Yeah, they've grown lungs. Uh, basically, you're telling me it's pit, it's pig bladder powder. Well, you you can it. I mean, you could use you could use a human, but but they've done it with pig. You're right, John. They've, they've, they've no no. They they grew a finger. They grew a finger back. A man's finger back using pig bladder powder. Basically, it, it it grew back. It was severed. They made a little girl a trachea not too long ago. But the point of this is, if we're talking about fringeworthy, which is the near future, this is now. 
okay, as far as we're playing Fringeworthy, they can do this already because it's the near future. You've got unlimited funding for this kind of thing. You've got advanced medical stuff that they're already bringing back. So we can just assume that this is doable. This is completely doable in this time. So, so in the, the their equivalent of the med- of a walk pack, uh, you may be familiar with a walk pack, uh, uh, Paul. Uh, basically, the warrior. The, what's it called again? The warrior, um, uh, something or other uh, kit. It's basically it's a, a top of the line med- field medical kit. P- include probably a packet of this of this uh, scaffolding powder to help help wo- help wounds heal and a lot tougher than that. I'm familiar with the. With the clotting agent powders. John, and what you're talking about being portable, you're probably more likely to be able, and this is another thing that's on the possible future, is 3D printed organs. Mm-hmm. Using the same yeah. sort of kind of uh, thought process of, of stem cells, but literally just growing them like you do um, what they call additive manufacturing or, ma- or rapid prototyping, uh, just printing it. I looked in that. Actually, what they're doing in that is that they're building the scaffolding using 3D printing ah, okay. and then letting the stem stem cells grow over it. Yeah, but this isn't going to happen overnight. Oh, yeah. I did see um, Wired Magazine had an article on printing a heart with a 3D printer. They have basically a cube, and this 3D printer has like six or eight medium poured into one printer jet. So it lays down neutral gel until it gets to where the exterior of the heart where it lays down lays down pericardium cells that's the wrapping that goes around your heart then it lays down muscle cardiac muscle tissue and along with capillary tissue and then it lays down interior heart wall um, epicardium and it skips over a space if there was meant for the ventricle the atrium in until it gets to the center and it just works its way back and forth across it starts at the apex the very bottom point of the heart and works its way up top to the aorta laying layer after layer but it builds the gel medium around it paul what you were saying about the skipping a space it won't do that it'll leave that gel that medium gel anywhere there's an open space because the the, the other layers have to sit on top it's just laying down a neutral gel yeah. it fills where the where the ventricle or the atrium is going to be. And then after the heart is fully completed, it's sort of left to rest and a, and a, and a, uh, electrical charges run to get that, the little pacemaker cells that are embedded in the heart that gives you your, it's parasympathetic nerve system, the auto, the, the, you know, so you don't have to concentrate on making your heartbeat. It does it for you. It's, they slowly build up until they kick that thing off, but it gives, the all those cells a little time to extend their their fibrils and grab onto each other and firm up and become tissue. Yeah, the, the guy I was thinking of, uh, Peter, uh, he actually literally just just put the powder, you know, under a bandage and so forth on his severed finger uh, every day, and it would be absorbed in and it would grow a little bit more and grow a little more. So Leary was just putting powder. Yeah. And you know what's it's funny because it sounds like magic, but it's really not because you got to think of it in these terms. You know, you say, well, how does it know where to grow? It's like, well, how does anything know where to grow in your body? How did all the cells know where to go when you were a baby, when you were developing, when you were an embryo? I mean, how did how did all this stuff know what to do? It's because it's all pre-programmed in there. This isn't magic. It's it's very, very it's actually very simple 
uh, uh, biomechanics. You know, these cells, basically what they do is you have a cell in one place and, and another cell comes up next to it. And there's instructions on the one cell as to where you, the new cell, are supposed to go. It's like a jigsaw puzzle. It sounds complex, but it's actually very simple. There's signaling proteins on the exterior of the cells, so they recognize each other and then join up. Yeah, it's like it's like the guy in the like you were saying the guy who repaired his spinal column. It's like, well, why can't we why can't we do it right now? And it's because and it's very complicated. I read a whole book on it. If you guys want to read about this, another exam another book you can read. It's called The Other Brain. I can't remember who the author is, but it talks about you know um, brain cells and glial cells and all this kind of stuff. It's very technical. It's a really cool book though. But there's a blood brain barrier. Uh, I don't know if you guys know about this, but like. Brain and spinal tissue actually is separated from our own immune system, and they have it has its own immune system. So it's two separate immune systems. So when you have a spinal cord injury, uh, for the most part, the blood-brain barrier gets broken, and your uh, your spinal and brain um, uh, defense uh, immune system uh, fights with your bio- your your other your exterior your body immune system. They actually go to war. Because they don't recognize each other, and uh, uh, the the brain cells actually form the, your glial cells actually form a barrier to protect your spine from your outside body from damaging it. Well, the, the problem is is that that creates a permanent wall around that tissue, and it can't grow anymore. Um, so they have to overcome that. So this is where your, your stem cells and stuff come in. You have to actually remove that barrier and you have to have the stem cells come in and repair that, that tissue. Yeah. Now the thing is the, what he, they did with this guy wouldn't worked in Christopher Reeves cause he actually had blunt force, um, right. yeah. fracture. Cause it, it, it does, it, that did a ton of damage and created a huge barrier. You're, you're probably talking about a very, like a very sharp, very thin, very narrow wound. But in the future, we might be able to do a lot more because we would be able to print up the kind of scaffolding we need to, in order to make those nerve cells grow the way that we want them to grow and bridge that, that, that gap that's been created by that damaged tissue. Your body's just a big biological machine. I mean, it, it really is. It's a, it's a very – in a lot of ways, it's complex. But at the same time, in a lot of ways, it's very simple. It works off of very simple mechanisms. Well, they're all cells, and cells are relatively simple. Yep. Yeah. So they all they all come together to make a big giant thing, which is you, with a lot of specialized tissue. I, I know John kind of poo-pooed the retrovirus things, but I like the fact that you know you could use retroviruses, for example, to turn um, cells in animals into biological factories to start producing medicines that maybe the community needs. Well, actually, that's mostly done in vitro. They actually play with one cell. They can they can work with perfectly, and then then you know let it produce the goat that produces spider silk in its milk. <laughs> yeah, which is a real thing. Yeah. You know, the, yeah. Uh, the thing is, right now with retroviruses, is that there's a mutation rate they don't like. There's, they, they actually still mutate, even though they're carrying a different payload. Well, that's why it's the near future, John, because we're assuming they'll work this kind of stuff out. Mm-hmm. Well, you I, can still use retroviruses for other reasons. You can give people the genetic code for antibodies so they can resist a disease. That's called a vaccination, but yeah. No. 
you can give somebody the antibodies for a disease or you can give or but if you can't bring the disease through the biofilters you can at least bring a retrovirus along that has the genetic information that creates the antibodies that that there there okay richard biofilter i have a good virus will it go through or will i have to freeze the thing you probably have to freeze it all right. Well, anyway, I was thinking about things that you were doing there on the site anyway. So I was actually thinking about Dune, where they had the guy that was damaged by a poison. And so they created a, uh, they, they altered a cat to produce some uh, metabolic uh, substance that he needed. And he had to milk the cat and, eat, and, and, uh, and, and, and consume whatever that was every day in order to continue to survive. See, one of the biggest problems about going in and helping a people is you have to help them in a way that is going to be long-term. It's going to be sustainable. So if you're able to go and, and uh, produce, start producing animals that have the ability to exude or, as part of their own bodies, produce substances that are helpful to the community. It might be something as simple as something that uh, produces the equivalent of an antibiotic. Uh, they excrete it uh, from their, uh, uh, the, or uh, as you said, uh, John, in the in the milk. Maybe their milk now produces an antibiotic, so you can take this now antibiotic and give it to people, and uh, this, this and this animal can reproduce and 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 spread this. Uh, source of medicine around further and further and further. Now, I know there's always the possibility of introducing some strange thing into the environment and causing a big ecological problem. Granted, okay, but I'm just saying is that using retroviruses and gene modification and such, which is something that's going to be available in the near future, seems to me a way of, of producing a lot of specialized chemicals without having to do really super science type stuff. Yeah. It makes you wonder, though. Um, say that you're in a place there's a there's a you know of a, a plague. Uh, not to play off the current Ebola s- situation, but uh, you're in a world and there's they they've got something akin to uh, variations of measles or smallpox. Your Stena pre- pestis is still good. Yeah, and you need to come up with a vaccine. And trouble is, the current method of making vaccine is slow. So I can see in the near future because we're gonna need it be able to make vaccines faster somehow. I'm not sure how, because the current method requires you actually letting the viruses grow uh, in, a, in a medium, like chicken eggs and stuff like that, where they then, you know, you could then kill the virus and put a dead version of it in as, as a part of the vaccine so the body can recognize and make its own antibodies. You don't have to kill the virus. You just have to weaken it. Yes. They prefer the dead ones. Because the weakened one, all you need is one is not that weak. And you just infected that person with the disease. Some of them you have to have live, and I can't remember why. I, I, I'm, I apologize. I can't remember why. Some of them you want live and some of them you, you want dead. But there's some of them you want live and you I, – I think you – I forget what it is you do to them. But you make it so they, they either can't reproduce or they have like a um, – uh, you can limit their reproduction number so they can only re- reproduce so many times. If I'm saying that correctly, if I'm not, I apologize. Any biologist listening to this, um, I, I'm going from memory from like a, I think like two or three years ago when I read this. 
Yeah, are you talking about telomeres and stuff? Because that's not, yeah, th- that, I think so. That, that's uh, on the DNA strands. I don't think that's actually in- no, because a virus is RNA, right? Maybe you can't do that with viruses. Okay, I could be wrong. Maybe that's bacteria. I'm thinking of an RNA transcriptase inhibitor. I I don't know. Let's let's not go down that road. Now, yeah, you're 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 you've been watching too much Blade Runner. <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> I think we're getting a little too crazy. The big thing is basically if you can somehow remove the RNA. It's fine, but it doesn't need RNA, it doesn't need the RNA to live. If you can say, "Well, get the RNA out," then it's a perfectly good, still alive, still doing its thing, but it can't it can't do nothing at that point. Right. I mean, let's say you you injected it into let's let's say the wall of its abdomen, and it produced a tumor there, and the tumor is now full of of uh, you know good stuff, you know, because it's growing in there it's, and, and you're and the, the, the animal's body is trying to wall it off because it's not really helpful to the animal. So then you're able to go in there, harvest that tumor, you know, turn it into the medicine that you need and everything is fine. You know, it, it, either the tumor grows back and you keep harvesting it, or you can use that technique on another animal. It's just, this is the sort of thing that you could do that would be sustainable in a population where coming in and giving them drugs and then going away, and then they the next plague that comes along kills them because they don't have the, the, the drugs anymore. You know, you want to come up with a solution that's going to be good, that's going to be long-term and sustainable, when it, uh, unless, of course, it is one of these one-time-only plagues. This is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there, so go explore them. This is John Ryer saying keep your powder dry and keep those cards and letters coming in. This is Blix. Don't hate the game, hate the players. This is Richard Tahoka. Wait till you see what's coming next. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. Yo, brothers. This was the Tri-Tech Games Podcast. You know the drill. It's protected under the Creative Commons License 3.0. No commercial reproduction, no derivatives, and sucker, you best attribute this to the folks at Tri-Tech Games. And if you don't, we'll be after your sorry butts, because we're some bad mothers. Hi, this is Trav of the Travcast, Hour 3 of Blind Wolf's Rubber Room Association on DementiaRadio.org, Tuesdays, 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern.